Would y'all pray with me? Our Father, I thank you for uh, this morning. I thank you for uh, gathering your people together uh, to proclaim the gospel to one another, to hear the gospel proclaimed to each other. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work this morning in, in all that we do here in this place uh, so that the gospel and the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ would be made known to our hearts. Lord, say whatever you'd have said this morning to each one of us. Have us each hear what you would have us hear. Lord, speak to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit uh, change us and, and, and cause us to treasure you, Lord, because of how we see how great you are and how great you have loved us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it's almost 2019, right? Tomorrow's Christmas Eve, or it's not Christmas Eve. It's New Year's Eve. It's an Eve of some sort. And the question, it's just obvious, right? New Year's Eve is coming, so what, uh, what about New Year's resolutions? How do you make really good New Year's resolutions? Or how do you even just make really good goals? <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm a little under the weather, so we're probably going to have a little trouble with my voice. I apologize in advance. But with the new year coming up, how do you know that you're making the right resolutions? How do you know you're making the right goals? If that's something that you even do, do you try to make New Year's resolutions? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm not really uh, a New Year's resolution kind of person. Like, I make goals all the time. I often even make goals at the beginning of the year, near the end of the year. Uh, But when it comes to New New Year's resolutions, I don't usually have anything prepared. Honestly, I think it's just the last couple weeks, like with birthdays in my family and Christmas and all that kind of stuff. I'm not thinking about that, right? And I don't have anything personally prepared. Uh, But sometimes I feel pressured to make a resolution because everybody else is doing it or I hear other people talking about it. And so I'll come up with something. It's usually health-related. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to exercise, eat right, that sort of thing. But it's usually not from the heart. It's just something I do, like I said, out of pressure. Uh, Not that anybody's trying to pressure me, but I just feel the pressure. So I try to make something happen. It's not from the heart. And by the end of January, it's long forgotten. So maybe if we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions, I'm not the person to give you a bunch of advice about what resolutions to make. And I'm not even sure if anybody can tell you what resolutions you should and should not make. But I do think that in this morning's passage... Uh, There's some useful things as we prepare for 2019. Uh, There's some useful stuff for our resolutions and for any goal setting and for any decision making. And the bottom line is this this morning, is that your heart's treasure is revealed in the goals that you set. Your heart's treasure is revealed in the goals that you set. So whatever it is that you are resolved to do in the next few, in the coming months and over the next year, it says something about what matters most to your heart. Right, And if you're not resolved to do anything, if you don't have any goals, that reveals something about your heart's treasure also. Whatever goals you set or whatever decisions you make on New Year's Day or any other time of the year, your heart's treasure is revealed in the goals that you set. So this morning I want us to take a look at two biblical characters. Uh, the first one is found in the second chapter of Luke. We've been looking at this, uh, these first couple chapters of Luke over to Advent, over to Christmas season, 
Uh, and we've looked at the different songs throughout these chapters, right? We looked at Mary's Magnificent. We looked at uh, Zechariah's Prophecy, the Song of the Angels. And then this morning in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 35, we're introduced to Simeon. And we'll read his song of praise, the final song in our series, uh, Nothing is Impossible. So let's read this passage together. You just turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 35, and it'll be on the screen. And I'll read this for us. It says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem, as Jesus, to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the, he came in the, Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and this is his song, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, there's a ton of stuff in these verses. There's a a ton of things we could study. There's a ton of good news, and there's a lot of directions that we could go. But what I want us to observe for a moment is the character of Simeon and how his values and how his... uh, his character and how his values are revealed in this scene and in this passage. Right away we see that we, we, we know that Simeon, uh, Simeon is a righteous and devout man. That's what Luke says. Excuse me. We also know that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Meaning, he's waiting for Israel to be comforted and restored by God. And we also know that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And had revealed that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then when Simeon sees Jesus in the temple, he takes Jesus into his arms and he blesses him. Basically saying in the song, now I can depart in peace because salvation is here. The comforter is here. I've been waiting for the comforter, for the consolation of Israel, and he's here. So now I can depart in peace. And it's striking to me that Simeon isn't worried with even seeing it all come to fruition, is he? Like just seeing Jesus as a baby is enough to know that Israel will be comforted and that salvation will go to the Gentiles, that salvation will go to the nations. In other words, for Simeon, seeing Jesus means that God's promises are all fulfilled. There is good is done. And through this child, through Jesus... God will use his people as promised to saturate the world with his glory and make himself known to all people. Simeon's song 
and his passion for seeing the consolation of Israel. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 40. As a matter of fact, if throughout this whole scene, throughout this passage, Luke lets us know that the last third of Isaiah, the last third of Isaiah, starting in chapter 40, going through 60, is, it's clearly in Simeon's thoughts, right? Luke kind of lets us in on that. When he sings, when Simeon sings, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that's a reference to language used in Isaiah 40, verse 5, and Isaiah 52, verse 10, which says this. It says, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And when he goes on to sing that this salvation is a light for the revelation of, to the Gentiles, that's language borrowed from passages in Isaiah like Isaiah 42.6, Isaiah 49.6, 52.10, and 60 verse 3. And then there's this passage that I said it, it reminds me of. Simeon waits for the consolation or for the comforting of Israel as promised in, in uh, Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 2, which says this. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Comfort, comfort my people. So now the book of Isaiah, if you know, if maybe you know, maybe you don't know, the, the, the book of Isaiah is kind of split up into sections. Right? The first section ends in chapter 39 with a harsh prophecy from Isaiah to uh, King Hezekiah uh, that foretells the exile, right? Then, all of a sudden, after chapter 39, it's saying exile is going to come. You turn the page and go to chapter 40, and all of a sudden, it kind of seems like exile's already happened, and now we're talking about what God will do about it, right? So from here on, the rest of the book seems to take place after the exile, and it deals with looking forward to what God will do to restore Israel. And this is where we find the familiar passages of the suffering servant. It's where we often go back and see uh, the prophecies of Jesus, that he was coming, that, of his death and of his resurrection. And Simeon seems to demonstrate like a really great understanding beyond what other people understood at the time of how all those chapters in Isaiah were speaking of this child that he was holding in his arms. I don't know how much he really understood before that moment. And I don't know what, what dots got connected for him as soon as he laid his eyes on Jesus. But he's putting all of Isaiah's prophecies together for sure. Like when he tells Mary in Luke chapter 2, 34 through 35, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. He must be connecting the dots. Isaiah 53, 5, which you're probably familiar with. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. He must realize that if death is what this was, where all this was headed, if death is what was going to come for this suffering servant prophesied of, then it would also cause Mary suffering to see her son killed, right? Yet even with that knowledge, which is, doesn't seem happy, right? Even with that knowledge, this promise of Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, it's the good news that Simeon is clinging to. The Lord's Christ has come, and he will console Israel, 
And he will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's what Simeon knows. It's as good as done. And that Simeon treasures the salvation of God is made obvious in his song. Now we're going to come back to Simeon in a few minutes. Like I said, there's, there's two biblical characters I want us to look at today. So just kind of hold on to that. Thumb back to the end of uh, the, sec- the first section of Isaiah. And we're going to take a look at King Hezekiah. The chapters right before uh, chapter 40, 38 and 39, connect these two characters. Now, there's a lot that we could uh, go into about Hezekiah and his reign, uh, but it, it, we're just going to look at the, the last two chapters and those events there. In chapter 38, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but in chapter 38, King Hezekiah is very sick. And Isaiah, Isaiah has already told him that he's going to die and that he needs to get his house in order. Not only that, but if you, if you go back a little bit before that, there's also some impending threat from the king of Assyria. Well, Hezekiah, at the news that he's going to die, begins to weep, and he prays that God would spare him. And so let's take a look together. It's uh, Isaiah 38, 4 through 8. We're just going to look at how God responds to his prayers and his weeping. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. He had already prophesied that he was going to die. But then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, and I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and will defend this city. This shall be a sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz, turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial, the ten steps by which it had declined. That's amazing, right? I mean, the sun, the time just go, did the earth just turn backwards? That's some crazy stuff. It's crazy. And it kind of makes you want to start praying for people too, right? Because like he just prayed and weeped, and then I was like, okay, 15 more years. You were going to die. I take it back. 15 more years. Also, let me move the earth around a little bit. Not only did Hezekiah live longer, but God took care of the king of Assyria thing. And he turned back the clock. And I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what we're supposed to do with that this morning. But I, if I was there, I think I would bust out into song or something. Like, whoa, God. Like, I prayed. And then you answered me. And you healed me. You said you're going to give me more life. The sun thing, that was crazy, and you're going to defend the city. And I would think that once I had seen that, that there would be nothing and no one that my heart would treasure more than God. But I know the brokenness of my heart a little better than that, right? We know our own brokenness better than that. And although Hezekiah did praise God in chapter 38, if you turn over to chapter 39, there's a very heartbreaking moment, and it's the end of this first section that would lead us into that next section of, of, of Isaiah. It's only eight verses, so I'm going to read them to you. At that time, Merodach Baladan, I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing that right, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, 
all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They came, excuse me, they have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up until these days shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Israel, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, There will be peace and security in my days. A few years ago I was reading this, and it really got to me, just the first part. Like, what was the big deal? You know, it just really bothered me. What was the big deal? Why was it so bad that Hezekiah showed all his stuff to these people from Babylon? Well, there's a very practical part of it, which is that you don't show another king all the things that he doesn't have because then he's going to want your stuff, right? So there's a bit of that where Hezekiah is just not the smartest man. Uh, but then also I think there's more than that. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also, or there your heart will be also. See, Hezekiah didn't need to show off before another king. He didn't need to make his nation and his people and his treasure look bigger and better than it really was. His God healed him, gave him 15 more years, delivered him from the Assyrians, and promised to defend the city. Unless any of that be turned or chalked up to circumstances, God had turned back time to prove that it was him. Nothing was impossible with him. Not only that, but what Israel was called to do, why God set them apart as a people, was to make God known to the nations. So, Hezekiah, if you're going to show off anything, show off your God who is far and away better than everything else that anybody else has. But when Hezekiah showed the Babylonians his treasure, he showed them silver, he showed them gold, he showed them showed them oils and his armory, and God wasn't even on his mind. And so his heart is totally exposed for where it is. Hezekiah is out for himself, for his own glory, not that of God's. And so this is the end. God's people are led by kings who will never make God famous, who will never be the light to the world on their own. And so exile is coming. And what's so heartbreaking is what Hezekiah says of Isaiah's gruesome prophecy about his people and about his own sons enduring this great suffering. He says, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. I know it's different, it's a different day and age, but I cannot imagine 
weeping over my own sickness and then praising over the news that my children will be carried off, be mutilated, and be humiliated. Where's the weeping now? How do you take joy in that, right? So there's a massive difference between Hezekiah and Simeon, isn't there? There's a massive difference between them. Hezekiah finds comfort knowing that there will be peace and security in my days, in his days, even though it means suffering and loss for his family and for his people, for his nation when he dies. While Simeon praises God, singing, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. And he is comforted and ready for his life to be over, just knowing the good news that is for the people of God and for the nations. Anvos Camp writes that we can be more in love with self-preservation than with Savior glorification. We can be more in love with self-preservation than with Savior glorification. And I think that that's what we see going on here as we look at these two characters. I think it's obvious that Hezekiah was in love with self-preservation and Simeon was in love with Savior glorification. And so the question is, which one are you in love with? Which one am I in love with? What or who are we in love with at Redemption Church? What or who do we make much of in the company of others? What goals are you resolved to achieve over the next year? Are they Savior-glorifying or self-preserving? Because your heart's treasure is revealed in the goals you set. Here's the thing, though. I think we all have Hezekiah in us, right? We all have a little Hezekiah in us. We all have an infatuation with serving ourselves. It may not be on full display like Hezekiah's heart idolatry is, but we often worship ourselves over God. And the truth is that none of us is righteous. We just confessed it together. None of us is righteous. We've become corrupt together. And any of us would have led Israel into exile given the opportunity. And Simeon? Well, honestly, Simeon would be in the same boat too. But the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was the Holy Spirit who made Simeon's heart long for the consolation of Israel. And you and I, well, our hearts can only treasure God above all else if He Himself changes us, right? We can only treasure God above everything else if He changes us. It's only by the work of the Holy Spirit. We can only change from self-preserving to Savior-glorifying if God intervenes in our heart. And this is the good news that we've been singing about and that we've been celebrating throughout this season, isn't it? That Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us, came. And like Colossians 1.15 says, He's the image of the invisible God. And John 1 says that, that when Jesus came, that was the Word of God put in the flesh. And so it was when Simeon like laid his eyes on Jesus, the promises of Scripture that he knew about the consolation of Israel, all of a sudden were alive and in front of him. So Simeon could proclaim that he had seen salvation and could depart in peace. 
He had seen God in the flesh, and the Holy Spirit comforted his heart and made him sure that God was doing everything that we thought was impossible because God is with us. Rebecca McLaughlin uh, wrote an article for Christianity Today. It was entitled, Four Reasons to Believe in the Christmas Miracle. And in it, she wrote this. She said, what's incredible about the incarnation is not so much that a virgin conceived, remarkable though that might be, but that God became man. Isn't it true? Like, isn't it true? It's not, it isn't just that the barren bore a child or that a virgin gave birth or that angels appeared to shepherds and sang to them, right? And it isn't that God healed Hezekiah or defended the city or that he turned back the sun that's so crazy for us to believe, even though all that is way beyond us and way crazy to believe. But what is so far and away more miraculous is that God became man, that Jesus came to be with us. He gave it all away for the joy that was set before him. And when Jesus died, he rose again and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit to live in us. So by the Spirit, God is with us still and God is with us forever. It was impossible. It was impossible. God could not dwell with us anymore. We were too unholy. But Jesus came and he put on flesh and he made away and salvation has come and he is with us from now and into eternity and we'll never be without him again his promises are sure he'll come back and he will once and for all right all the wrongs and he will reconcile all things unto himself and nothing is impossible with God and it's as we look to Jesus, as we set our eyes on him, as Paul told us in Colossians a couple months ago. It's as we set our eyes on him, as Simeon literally did in this passage. And it's by the work of the Holy Spirit that God rearranges all our heart's priorities and becomes the treasure of our hearts. Now, it's almost 2019, like I said. Some of you are intentionally doing some thinking about how you'll approach the next 12 months of your lives. I totally think that there's value in goal setting. I, I goal set. I think there's even value in resolutions. But I also know how often we fail at reaching our New Year's resolutions and how discouraging it can be. A local pastor and a friend of mine, his name's Ed Reese, he wrote an article for the Augusta Chronicle this week. I just saw it yesterday. And the article challenges the idea that we would find true peace and contentment by reaching any one of our resolutions, any one of our goals. And he wraps up with this challenge. He says, perhaps the only resolution we need to make this year is to finally let God have his way with us. Perhaps the only resolution we need to make this year is to finally let God have his way with us. Of course, once you resolve in that direction, you'll need to make a plan to spend time with him in scripture and a plan to spend time with him in prayer. But I think I can't come up with a better resolution than that. I've also seen where several people are doing something different these days at the new year. Instead of looking ahead, they're pausing to really like look back over the year and see where the last year has brought them. I think that's a pretty good idea. I wonder if it's not even better. Maybe if we did that, uh, we would at least be reminded of what God has done for us over the past year, and perhaps we'd live with a little more faith in the coming of year with that memory. 
Like I said, I'm not going to tell you what goals you should set for the coming year, but I do want to arm us with perspective by asking this question. As you look ahead and as you set goals, or maybe you don't, but either way, what do your goals, or the lack thereof, reveal about your heart's treasure? What are the goals you're setting or the goals you're not setting reveal about your heart's treasure? What's underneath our New Year's resolutions? What's underneath our resolution of weight loss and getting healthy? Like that can be a good thing, obviously, right? That's a good thing. But it can also become a God thing. Do we want to look better and live longer because we are overly anxious about how others perceive us or about death? It could be a bad motivation. What's behind our career and our financial goals? Again, they can be good goals, but they can reveal the idols of our heart too. Are you looking for peace and security like Hezekiah? Or are you looking to be a blessing to others because of the peace and security that you found in Jesus Christ? Which one of those is helping to set up your career and financial goals? What's, motivation, what's motivating your relational goals? What's, at the, what's the heart desire at the root of any of our goals that we may or may not set? Your heart's treasure is revealed in the goals you set. So the question is, are you thinking like Hezekiah? Are you thinking like Hezekiah, just merely concerned with self-preservation and squeezing everything we can get over the next year and out of the coming year and out of our life? Or are you like Simeon, looking for the salvation of God and the good news of Jesus to continue to advance, even if it costs you everything? Your heart's treasure is revealed in the goals you set. As a church, we say that our vision and our mission is to see downtown Augusta saturated with the good news of Jesus by leading people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. But what's the likelihood, what's the likelihood that we reach anybody in downtown Augusta or anywhere else with the gospel if we are merely worried with self-preservation? But if we care only to see Jesus made known and glorified. Like church, what if, what if we set our eyes on Jesus and ask God to have his way with us? What if we were at peace no matter what comes this year, as long as the ministry of reconciliation advanced in and through us at Redemption Church? See, the truth is, is if our hearts treasure, if, if, if our hearts treasure ourselves over, the, over Jesus will never be satisfied, will never be content, will never be truly comforted because we'll be missing out on our created purpose to glorify God in all creation. Are we going to spend our years like Hezekiah just seeking to live a long, peaceful, prosperous life regardless of what it costs cost others? Or are we going to spend whatever time we have, like Simeon, seeking, seeking the comfort and joy for all by spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. So as you approach 2019, just consider these things prayerfully. What does your heart treasure most as reflected in your goals, as reflected in your resolutions? Resolve to set your eyes on Christ, to seek first the kingdom of his righteous and his righteousness, and pray that the Holy Spirit would change your heart to treasure Jesus above all things.
by the goals we set and the decisions we make, reveal a heart that treasures Jesus above all. And may his salvation work in and through us at Redemption Church, saturating our city with the good news of Jesus. We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week, and the band will come and they'll lead us in a time of worship. It's a time where you can pray and reflect and a time to sing praises to our God. And during this time also we'll do a couple other things. It's a time where you can give offerings and uh, tithes. There's a basket in the back um, where you can set those. There's also instructions on how to give other ways if you prefer. And then each week we take communion at, at Redemption Church. So you can come down either of these side aisles. You can take the bread and you dip it in the wine or the juice. And when we do this, we're remembering the body and the blood of Jesus that was shed and given for us. And so we remember Christ that he is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he would do. And we're proclaiming the good news of Jesus to one another and be reminding each other of our salvation and that God is with us. As we do that, if you're a Christian, you're welcome to come, as long, whether you're a member of Redemption Church or not. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you, you not do it, but that you hear what we're proclaiming in our actions. Jesus is who he says he is. He is Savior. He is God with us. And he made a way while you're still set against him for you to be reconciled to your creator and to your father, God. And this is an invitation for you to take him. Would you pray with me? Our Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for, again, for gathering us together to hear your word and to hear the gospel. I pray that the good news was heard. I pray that the good news is proclaimed even still. I pray, Father, that you would Make that you would open up the eyes of our hearts so that we would just know how great you are and how good you are and how loving you are. Lord, help us to look to Jesus and see who you are and what you do and what good news it is for us. Overwhelm us. Overwhelm us with the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, change our hearts. Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Like get in all the places of our heart that we think, we may think that we're just totally uncovered before you, but, but get in all the secret places that we still keep from you, that we still haven't submitted to Jesus. Give us the good news where we haven't submitted yet. Lord, make Jesus the treasure of our heart above all else. And as you lead us into the, follow, the next year, into 2019, I pray that whatever our goals may be, that it would be God-honoring, that it would be for your glory and our joy and satisfaction, Lord. I pray that you would use us, that you would use Redemption Church in 2019 to to proclaim Jesus to one another and and then to our city. Salvation spring up from the ground. Holy Spirit, do a work here. Make us a city, it's, it's not just words, to, that, that we would be saturated with the good news of Jesus. Make us a city that demonstrates to the rest of the world that this is real, that this can happen, that Jesus is king, that he's taking it back, and he's making all things new. And make that our heart's desire. And may we give everything of ourselves to see that happen to see your good news go forth to those who have not received it. In Jesus' name.
Amen.